If you will, get your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, find your way to verse 16. Well, I truly had a blessed time last Sunday. I missed y'all, but uh, it was a lot of good singing. They had a singing group there, and I kind of asked what the schedule was before, like the night before. And they said the singing group would be singing from 10 to 11. And then the preaching service would be from 11 to 12. And I went, whoo, I got an hour. I might do that. <laughs> Amen. And, and so we listened to the singing group. And when the singing group was over, they had regular church, meaning they had singing. And they sung the songs, and then they had the choir, and the choir sang, and then they had a special. <laughs> and I was looking at time, I said, oh, I'm so much trouble. <laughs> but I think I got out of there okay. But it was a good good time, good seeing old friends, and, and I was very blessed. All right, if you found your way to... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. Let's stand in honor of reading God's word. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God would destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. Father, we ask you to bless the reading and the preaching, the hearing and the application of your word this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the last time that we met, these two verses were in our text verses 16 and 17, they were the last two verses. And the more I thought about it, the more I didn't give them justice and give them the time they deserve. Nor did I put in the time to study those last two verses. Uh, And so I said, well, those two verses will get special attention. I read them. I said, whoa, that's, that's good. And, and I'll tell you more about in the study of this here after a while. So, uh, the last time that we met here that we looked at Christian lives as a building and how it's constructed. We saw that our lives must be built on only one foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to come back now to these verses and expand upon them a little. Actually, my Bible indicates that these two verses are actually a paragraph. 
paragraph is usually sentences that form a theme. And that's exactly what we have here. I've entitled this message, God's Temple. And that's the theme. It's God's Temple. So I want us to unfold this theme with the help of the Holy Spirit this morning uh, so that we may see what the Lord has for us. The leading verse, verse 16, is a question that introduces us to the theme. And it says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Think about that. In the construction of our Christian lives, it's for the very presence of God. Don't we yearn to be in the presence of God? Please tell me that that was your prayer this morning that you would be found here in this service in the very presence of God. We all need to be in the presence of God. What kind of construction this must be? When the children of Israel had left Egypt, and they were in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 25 all the way through chapter 31, God gives instructions, explicit details was given in building the tabernacle. And that tabernacle is going to represent His presence. There he has a cloud by day and a fire by night showing his presence is with his people. And then they make it to the promised land. And in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. Now it came about in the 418th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Zeb, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. What God said about the house that Solomon was building is found in 1 Kings 6, verse 12 and 13. And this is what God said. Concerning this house which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and execute my ordinances and keep my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people. God says, that's what it's like to be in my presence. You will walk with me. You will obey me. You will listen to me. And your lifestyle will represent me. That's that walk. 
When it was finished, Solomon prayed a prayer of dedication. And when he finished his prayer, the very Shekinah glory of the Lord filled the temple. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly, He is good. Truly, His loving kindness is everlasting. When you're in the presence of God, you will see the goodness of God. You will see the kindness of God. And and as the old saying goes, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And we will come to a true understanding of the goodness of God. We could spend months just talking about the tabernacle and the temple and the building and the construction, the overlaying of gold on items and, and the purity of that gold uh, bringing in a meaning itself. And But I'm just going to go to the point. And I'm going to point out a couple things and how it relates to believers who are building their lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Just as God was being very specific in the building of the tabernacle and the temple as follows, He is very specific about the lives of His people. And the foundation, which has already been mentioned, but it is the utmost important, for if the foundation is not of Jesus Christ, you do not have the presence of God. You will not have, you will not be considered the temple of God. He must be the very foundation. He is very specific, specific of the atmosphere of his dwelling. Solomon prayed a prayer of dedication. In Matthew, Chapter 21, verses 12 through 13, it says this. It says, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. In this text, Jesus displays his righteous anger toward those who degrade the house of the Lord. There is a specific purpose, and it's not a place of marketing for the people. It's not to get financial gain. It is not a place of the world. 
getting back to the, our text in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, believers, do you know that you are a temple of God? What's going on in the temple? Are there some tables that need to be overturned? Is there some things that need to be ran out? Jesus said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. What about the prayer life in your temple? In your building, does your prayers consist of praying all about your desires, all about your wants? Bless me here and bless me there. We've been blessed. God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet still sinners, deserving of a devil's hell, he sent his son to die and pay our sin debt so that we can have eternal life of him. We have been blessed. Well, should God bless our country? Our, God has blessed our country. We live in the most blessed country there is. But have we blessed God? Have we give thanks to God? In our prayer life, do we pray for the things that are of God's will? Do we say, Father, let your will be done? Do we pray like Mary prayed when we well, told the angel... Then she was told that she was, she was a virgin and she was going to have a child. And that child would be the Savior. And she said this, Let it be done unto me, your bondservant, as your word. Are we in tune with God's will? Do we pray for missionaries? The serving over there in some third world countries and uh, just like I shared with you a week before last about a Gideon who gave his life to get up to the front lines to give a soldier a Bible. It, it's okay to pray for yourself. But pray that God will use you for his glory. What about confession? Do you think that you have just little sins that really don't bother God and you just know you need to, to talk about it and God knows about it and so why should I talk about it? Well, let me tell you something. All sin God knows about. Confession is not letting him know something he don't know. It's just coming to a very strong agreement with him that sin is sin and you have sinned against a holy God.
First John 1 John 1.9, you know, says that, that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from all iniquity. So are you confess, confessing those sins? What about praising him? Are you a grumbler or a praiser? Do you always see what's wrong with things around about you or do you see how God has blessed things around about you? Psalms 22.3 said, Yet you are holy. Oh, you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. The King James Version says, You inhabit the praises of your people. His, he, he draws near in His presence as we're praising Him. Here a few weeks ago, I bought Tracy a book. Uh, it's called Susie. It's about Susanna Spurgeon, the wife of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And the last couple of days have been blessed. Uh, she's been laying down reading it out loud to me. And man, you ought to hear some things they praised God about. Things like being sick. Things about going through hard times and troubles. Because God was showing them things in the midst of their valley and they were giving Him praise. It convicted me. Do we praise Him in our prayers, our songs, our coming in and our going out? Is it our walk, is it our lifestyle to praise Him? It ought to be. I mean, we, we come to church to praise Him. We call this as the church. What about His temple? Do we praise Him? He says, make me a house so that I may dwell with you. This thrice holy God wants us in his presence. Is there praise going on in our temple for God? What about sacrifice? What are you sacrificing for God? Romans 12, 1 and 2, you're very familiar with it. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to the this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable. Do you sacrifice? Do 
Do you choose the things to do that are holy and acceptable to God? And do you deny the flesh and the sin of the world? In, in this modern day world, we, we hear people say, I'm good. I'm fine. They're not. None of us are. Psalms 51.17 said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Pride is an enemy to God. And let me tell you something. I believe that each and every living being has a problem with pride. I was sharing Wednesday night, the night before I went to preach last Sunday, the, well, the um, previous Friday, I went, I wanted to look nice. That's kind of a real hard job for me. But I went and I got a haircut and, uh, you know, I wanted to wear my, my best outfit and Saturday night I broke out in some kind of facial, I looked like a Jersey cow, but instead of the black blotches, I had red blotches all over my face. And and, it, and I was like, oh man, I was downhearted. Why? Because of pride. God didn't need my looks. He just needed his words to come out of me. What about joy? Is there joy in your temple? Psalms 118 verses 14 and 15 it says the Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvations is in the tents of the righteous. Hey, if y'all got joys in your tents, you need to let your faces know it, alright? There's joy in the Lord. Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 18, For the joy of the Lord is my strength. Ah, He saved me, and I'm going to heaven one day. And that, that is the, the biggest bonus. But however, day in and day out, I find joy in the Lord. Charles Haddon Spurgeon in that book, he preached where there were some 2,000 people showed up. It was, they said it was even hard for him to get where he needed to go because of so many people. And, and that, that was in the 1800s. But he finally got there and it was a, a music theater that he was preaching in. And, and it was packed full of peop, people. And all of a sudden someone hollered, fire, fire. And if I remember the number correctly, 12 people was trampled to death. One being a, 
uh, a nine-month pregnant lady, which killed her and her baby, of trying to get out of that building. And it scarred Spurgeon for the rest of his life. He battled, uh, they said they would call it PTSD if it was today. And it, then later they said he battled what would be called bipolar today. But through that time, it would, the author would talk about him and Susie having these wonderful times of laughter and joy in the Lord. Even in the midst of the hard times of life. God, if he's number one in your life, he's going to bring joy in your life. You might tell God you need this and you need that, but He knows exactly what you need. You just think you know what you need. God knows. He's the one that created you. He's the one that made your fingerprint different from anyone else's. He made you unique. In Psalms 122, verse 1, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That the greatest victory that has ever been won, Jesus has given us that victory. It was over sin. It was over the grave. And, and there should be abundant joy in the house, in the temple. Back to our text, verse 17. It says, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. Holiness. Is there holiness in your temple? Is that that you have set yourself apart? You set yourself apart from sin, from evil, from the lust of this world. And you set yourself apart to a holy God. It says in this text, the temple of God is holy. It didn't say might be holy, trying to be holy. It said the temple of God is holy. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel. And, and just for our purposes here this morning, when it says the sons of Israel, it's talking about God's people. In our New Testament covenant, we are God's people. And say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
He didn't say, try to be holy. He said, you shall be holy. You say, wait a minute, preacher. How is that? You've got to go back to your foundation. If you want to see the true test of a house and the sturdiness of the house, you have to go to the foundation. And for us to be a believer means that we stand on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ our Lord. And that when God looks at us, He doesn't see us as the wretch that we are, but He sees His Son and the holiness of His Son through us. First Peter picked up on this in chapter 1 of First Peter, verse 13, beginning with verse 13. It says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope upon the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, the revelation of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is coming back. And that we will all stand before Jesus Christ one day. And I usually just paraphrase this verse, but I'm going to it because it's very significant. Almost, it's in 1 John 3. I almost begin reading with verse 1. It says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it is not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we'll be like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. There will be no more sin. Verse 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. That's what Peter said. Peter says that the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's what we need to fix our hope on. And by doing that, John says that we're purifying ourselves, that we're looking forward to the day that Jesus returns. He goes on, 
in verse 4, 1 Peter, 14, excuse me, of verse Peter, and he says this, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which was yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. All. Y'all know the Greek meaning of all. It means all. Verse 16, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God's serious about this. And he says, let your lifestyle show it. In Romans that I read to you earlier about doing the acceptable will of God so that others may see that perfect work, that perfectness of God in you. Are we ever going to be perfect in this flesh? No. But we ought to be pressing on to obtain it because He has laid a hold of us. We are in His possession because He redeemed us to make us holy, to fix that marred image for the triune God created us in their image. But sin marred that image. It damaged that image. And the image does not have anything to do with our flesh. It has to do with our very souls. It's that desperately wicked heart. The temple which is the believer is holy. We should be known as holy people. We carry the name of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. We are to be set apart. We're to be different from the world. And if we're not different from the world, we will never shine for Christ the way He wants us to. If all we do is just try to fit in in this old sinful world and, and we try to uh, get along with this world, we'll never shine. My God, my Lord and Savior, who died for a cross for this old wretch, for this filthy, no good sinner right here, he deserves my all. 
I should pick up my cross and follow him daily. I am his possession. I belong to him. And I should be holy. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see God. Without sanctification, which is a, like holiness, it's being set apart for God. And, and if we don't have it, we will not see God. You can say that you're a believer. You can say that you're a Christian. You can say all you want to say, but it's not until that He is the Lord of your life and you're obedient to Him that we can be set apart and be holy. A true believer is a child of God. Do you know what it means? I know some of you had great families, great moms and dads. And you raised in a Christian home. And you have great memories of your parents. But even as good as they were or are, it's nothing compared to God. Nothing. He loves you with an agape love. A A love that's beyond our understanding. If we are a true child of God, set apart for the Lord, we have holiness that sets us apart. And therefore, we are a temple of God. Now I want to get to the hard part. Verse 17 again says... If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. I looked for reference verses in the reference Bible. I couldn't find anything that really went along with that. I looked in four or five commentaries. I told Tracy I'm going to have to have a talk with John MacArthur. He always pulls through for me, but he, he didn't pull for pull through for me this time on really explaining that to me. The Broadman commentary says at this point he's talking about the local church and that if anyone comes in and like a sheep, a wolf in sheep's clothing and tries to destroy, then God will destroy them. I couldn't make that fit really. I'm sure Broadman is a lot more intelligent than I am. And so here's my answer. 
get ready for this great theological exposition. I don't know. That's it. I don't know. Might be one of the mysteries of God. I'll tell you what I think. But it's not biblical. And so anything that I say that's not biblical, you can just throw it out the window. If the temple is not taken care of, God would deal with it. If the temple is not taken care of, God would deal with it. I think that one who carries the name of Christ, who says he's a representative of Christ, and he's out in the world living like the devil, I think God would take care of it. And I'm not saying he's not a Christian. He's just lost his way. An example. About maybe we need to all ask ourselves. Are there some tables need to be overturned? In our temple. Just as Jesus walked into the temple in his day and overturned the, the tables and ran those out that didn't need to be there, are there some things that need to be run out of our life that's not pleasing to God? Where is God in the presence of your life? What about this Christian life? Building in this Christian life. Do you have room? Do you have room for God? And what, what, where is God in your life? I mean, we got so much stuff going on, right? We got busy lives. We got we got this and this and this and this to do. So, so where are we going to put God? Can we clean out a small place, or or maybe? We can have like that mother-in-law apartment. And just when we, it can be out back. And just when we need God, we can go there. And we feel okay about it. That he is as close as ringing a doorbell.
Um, years ago, I'll close with this. Probably not the greatest thing to close with. Hannah was a little bitty girl. And we was watching a little house on the prairie. And she was sitting in my lap. And a little house on a prairie, it was always something sad. It was always a heartbreaker. And I was sitting there watching that show and having my beautiful little daughter sitting there on my lap watching it. And I got into that show and all of a sudden tears started running down my cheek. And my sweet little precious girl turned at me and started laughing. Daddy, you're sentimental. And now when she brings Stella over and they go to leave, I do everything I can to keep my daughter laughing at me and telling me I'm sentimental. Because I never want her to leave. If we ever truly get in the presence of God, we don't want Him to leave. Do you know all the things that we have in the very presence of God? Do you know the very peace of God? And as I've, Bryce has ran off the sheets before that we've sang and We've come to understand that He's all I need. He's everything. When we really get in His presence, we know there's none greater than Him. And He gives us that joy, that long-suffering That love, that assurance, He's everything. Do we seek His presence? Do we beg for it? Do we plead for it? He is a good God. His greatness is beyond our imagination. And He cares for our ever need. It says for us to cast all of our anxiety upon Him because He cares for us. We can trust Him. Trust Him and no matter how bad our day is, God can be trusted. Do you know Him? Do you know Him today? Are you building a life, of building Him a temple in your life? If you don't know Him, 
I beg of you not to leave this place this morning until you do know him. I'll stay here as long as it takes. And I would show you through the word of God the greatness of our God. And how he created us for himself. And he sent his son to redeem us, to buy us out of the bondage of slavery. To make for himself a people of his own possession. This is zealous for good deeds. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, we come and we thank you so much, God, for your goodness and your mercy. Father, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit wouldn't let anybody leave unless they know that you are the Lord and the Savior of their life and that they submit their life to you. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing number 361.